So last week we were chatting about sustainable packaging. Actually, we were talking about sustainable fragrance and I went off on a tangent to talk about packaging. And today we're deep diving into the beauty industry's dirty little secret. It's colossal waste problem. I think brands, they need to be a lot bolder and a lot less precious about what they do with that stock that's a bit imperfect or where they've produced too much. Um, And also about discounting their products when they're at the point where the products, they're advanced in their shelf life, let's say, or they're phasing out old, old branding and they should really just sell them rather than destroying them. So welcome back. It's time for a few stats. Did you know that a jaw-dropping 90 million beauty products are discarded annually in the UK alone? No, me neither. That's a staggering 1,000 tonnes of mascara, 4,500 tonnes of moisturisers, 9,000 tonnes of perfume, equivalent to almost 650 double-decker buses. But the shocker doesn't end there. Over 10% of beauty products meet their untimely end with brand supply chains, while 6.2% of beauty goods are simply overproduced. Surprisingly, despite 95% of consumers expressing a willingness to snag imperfect stock, there's a shocking void in the market for premium imperfects and excess stock. Surprisingly, despite 95% of consumers expressing a willingness to snag imperfect stock, there's a shocking void in the market for premium imperfects and excess stock. Today, we're going to be unpacking the why behind this waste. Whether it's imperfect exteriors, overproduction mishaps, or supply chain insufficiencies, or inefficiencies, sorry, the beauty industry's dirty laundry is getting a thorough inspection. And of course, we'll be exploring how a trailblazing brand like Boot Beauty is not just keeping up with the times, but leading the change in redefining beauty industry norms. So cosmetic waste really is a growing crisis in the beauty industry and brands and cosmetic businesses are pivoting towards I want to say more sustainable practices, but not just due to environmental activism, but also as consumers are increasingly prioritising eco-friendly and socially responsible brands and businesses and values. In the global cosmetics industry, plastic packaging stands out as a significant polluter with over 120 billion units of packaging annually contributing to climate change and deforestation. It's taking a real toll on the environment and the beauty routine, a social media sensation, generates approximately 2 million mentions on Instagram alone. In South Korea, women on average own 10 skincare products, contributing to the daily application of 515 synthetic chemicals on the skin. And shockingly, plastic packaging waste from the beauty industry amounts to over 120 billion units annually, leading to deforestation and the creation of the notorious Great Pacific Garbage Patch, spanning 1.6 million square kilometres. Despite cosmetic companies adopting recycling practices, only 9% of plastic containers are recycled, resulting in massive landfills and the environmental degradation. The majority of beauty brands still rely on non-recyclable plastic, as revealed by a Greenpeace report. Greenwashing, the false impression of recycling programmes, further exacerbates this problem. So how do we sort of address this issue? What are the sort of best practices that brands need to adopt to combat this waste? Various solutions are emerging and rightfully so. Zero waste cosmetics, avoiding plastic packaging and introducing refillable containers are strategies employed by eco-conscious brands like Lush, Kiehl's 
I wouldn't say Fenty Beauty is a sustainable beauty brand, but they are trying their best to put in more sustainable practices and values. Additionally, and they're also doing this, I should say. So additionally, the shift towards organic ingredients over chemical waste is gaining momentum and consumers are really becoming more, I want to say a little bit more discerning about the environmental impact of beauty. We've shouted about fashion for so long and we know that there is an impact from the fashion industry, but the beauty industry has stayed sort of silent in this. But there is a huge impact from this industry. Another really great innovation that I'm seeing is something called the virtual try-on. And I mentioned this in the trailer that for this season and a little bit in the first episode where I'm speaking about the different innovations and trends to see for this year. And I think the virtual try-on is going to become a really, really big deal. The beauty industry is really embracing digital innovations. And things like this virtual try-on service allows us to reduce the environmental impact of in-shop testers and samples. Major brands like Mac and Sephora adopting smart mirrors and apps to enhance that customer experience while minimizing waste and I can't lie it is about enhancing that customer experience and making it exciting to shop as well because as much as I'm the first person to say do you really need it there are people that always enjoy shopping and why not make that experience a little bit more enjoyable additionally incorporating sustainable practices in things like manufacturing from using alternative materials and renewable energy sources is also finally (laughs) becoming a priority in the beauty sector So as I mentioned, manufacturing there, I just want to talk a little bit on this in a little bit more detail. So brands are really urged to consider ecological standards during the design stage and make that switch at the design and conception point to switch to alternative materials and invest in renewable energy sources. And so they're trying to include sustainability right from concept to distribution and then hopefully provide some sort of like closed loop service and an end of use service where the product can then be recycled after when you're finished using it. Sorting stations and composting departments for recycling materials are also becoming way more common. I don't know how many of you have listened to this podcast in the past, but for the past few years, that's been something that I've really championed. Consumers are increasingly demanding sustainable practices with 91% expressing a desire for brands to use way less packaging. Me for one, brands, can everybody just stop using so much packaging? I don't need to buy something that is in a bottle, in a case, in a piece of, in a box, with foam, with a piece of plastic around it. I don't care. These things just get thrown away. And I understand that for transportation purposes that they're necessary. But who uses it? Who really uses it? It just doesn't make sense. As consumers become more aware of the environmental impacts of ingredients, the demand for clean and organic cosmetics is on the rise. Studies have shown it and nearly 50% of buyers are choosing nature over chemistry and prompting brands to adapt their formulas to incorporate natural ingredients and eliminate harmful chemicals. So one area that we haven't spoken about in too much detail because I was saving it for our guests to talk a little bit more about is the idea of these imperfect and things like this. So as with fashion, beauty brands overproduce. They produce way too many products. You have discontinued lines that may not have sold. You have imperfects. You have customer returns, all of these things. What happens to all of this? And I've had a conversation with a friend recently who sent me something to tell me that a fast fashion brand has started doing rental on their platform. And I explained to her, it's probably a lot of customer returns. And she said, well, why would they not just put them back into sale? I said, because that's not common practice. It costs a brand more to put products back into circulation sometimes, not all of them, than it is to either incinerate them or just throw them out and throw them into textile recycling or into landfill. Now, Beauty is being held accountable in the same way that fashion is. And 
fashion brands will do something with these customer returns. And I think rental is a great way to do that, but you can't rent beauty. So what do you do? Incomes, Boot Beauty. So Boot Beauty, who I'm speaking to today, have been dubbed as the outlet of beauty and they're offering a solution to the industry's excess waste problem. And today my guest is the founder of Boop, Yasmin Amer. So Yasmin, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to talk about Boop. When I first heard about the company, I thought, wow, this is so exciting and it's so necessary in this industry to have a brand that you say is like the outlet of beauty is my jam 100%. So let's get into the conversation. So given the sort of staggering statistics on beauty product waste, which I spoke about previously in the episode, can you share how Boop addresses the prevalent issue of this waste? Yeah, and I think it would be really useful to kind of go through some of the facts and what the problem is, because I don't think people realize quite how much waste there is. So You've got about more than 10% of beauty products which are going to waste in brand supply chains. And then you've got 6.2% of products which get discarded purely due to overproduction. That's just brands making too much. In the UK only, and this was from a survey done by Zero Waste Scotland, there's an estimated 90 million items of beauty products which are thrown away each year. And many of them, they're still unopened and they're still perfectly usable. So the problem comes from both brands and consumers in different ways. And I think it's important to understand that because we address them in in quite different ways. So on the one hand, from the brand side, there is a lot of overproduction because of things like trend forecasting and brands trying to compete in, honestly, what is already a pretty saturated market. There are so many beauty brands uh, and they want to maintain a steady flow of the newest and trendiest products. But that will just naturally result in overproducing when you've got all these competitor brands also producing these trending products. And then another huge issue for brands is actually poor inventory management. It's a really basic point, but but if brands can't keep up with their stock levels, that causes huge problems. And there was a relatively recent report that I came across which found that inventory accuracy in the beauty sector is actually about 50% on average. So that means that brands, they're getting about half of their inventory wrong. Obviously, listeners can't see my face, but (laughs) I was like, what? That's, what, what, why not? This is something that just frustrates me across the board. It is. Like, why make so much? Why are we building these trend forecasts or even when your production forecasts for things that are going to be 80% more and then you I like I watched a video this morning that was saying that in the fashion industry the markup used to be around 20 to 30% now they're doing an 80% on way more stock than usual just so that they can factor in additional sales and I just think it's just a, like a discounted sales I should say but it's I'm sure it's exactly the same in beauty and why are we doing this? I think there's also just, there's such a push to produce, produce, produce. But unless you're managing the other end of it, which is the actual stock that you have produced, you'll run into serious issues. And when it comes to premium brands, because Boop's really targeted, you know, it's very focused on creating this outlet for those premium brands where there hasn't previously been one. You know, premium brands, they worked very hard to earn their brand value and their premium positioning. So, you know, they're worried about tarnishing that in any way. And in my previous life as a lawyer for like a huge cosmetics group with about 30 brands in its portfolio, 
I was personally involved in that. You know, we set up these, uh, we called them selective distribution systems, where you set up all this criteria and it kind of frames how products can be distributed. And you have to stick with it and police it because there's a whole legal framework around it. So even from a brand's perspective, they can sometimes tie themselves into these knots where they're restricted on how they can distribute their products. And it's not necessarily helpful. And that's all for the sake of maintaining this premium perception. But consumers don't necessarily know that or view it in that way. So what we're trying to do with Boot is really shift premium brands perception of what waste is, and more importantly, what consumers value by showing them that Look, your shoppers, they will continue to be loyal customers, regardless of whether you've made too much, if you've discontinued a line, or if you've changed your packaging, or even if the outer box is missing or is a bit banged up and doesn't look perfect. That's not going to send your customers running away because you're no longer premium. They're not going to fixate on things like that. And it's, it's really the product itself that matters. And it really should not be waste if it's wanted. So even if you look at the fashion sector, you've seen a lot of premium brands very successfully place their their stock at premium outlet retailers like the Outnet or like Bister Village. And it doesn't strip them of that premium positioning. You've got Gucci, you've got Valentino, you've got Prada, you've got all these really high-end brands. And they're not suddenly having their customers run away just because they've kind of listed with an outlet. If anything, it'll just help reduce the waste and it would probably lead to more customer acquisition because you're introducing new customers to that brand. And I think beauty brands just need to be a lot bolder and more open like fashion houses have been. So what we're doing with brands is we're we're just creating an outlet for that premium beauty and wellness where there hasn't traditionally been one. There definitely hasn't been one just dedicated to beauty and wellness. Um, so it's really an opportunity to give those products another channel to move through before they leave the market. And then from a consumer perspective, you've got a totally different issue, which is you've got this general lack of awareness um, of the problem. So only really people who are interested in sustainability and waste will be aware of quite how big this problem is. And it's also a lack of understanding of how to be more sustainable when it comes to beauty as well. So... You can't really blame shoppers here because it's not, there hasn't been the same spotlighting on beauty as there has been on fashion or food. So the average consumer, they won't know that if they return a beauty product, that'll end up in landfill. They might think it'll get inspected and put back on shelves, but that doesn't happen. Even things like what to do with packaging, that can be completely baffling. And I'll give you a very mortifying example, which relates to myself, but I think I'm not alone in this. I think a lot of people probably have this. You'll probably know this, but I wonder how many people do. That green dot symbol on packaging, it's like two interlocking arrows. So for the longest time, I thought that that meant you could recycle the packaging. And, you know, goodness knows how many things I've thrown away into recycling. And that ruins the entire recycling batch once you've kind of contaminated it with something that can't be recycled. And I didn't realize all that means is that the manufacturers donated money towards recycling initiatives in Europe. That's all that means. It doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean you can recycle it. And I found out about this because a colleague at work said that, oh, you know, we're going to take that symbol off our packaging because we found out that consumers are confused by it and don't understand what it means. And I was just sat there like, well, sorry, I, I'm that consumer. I didn't realize. So there's a lot of sort of information out there, but there's just not enough education around it for people to understand what it means. So we're really focused on customer education and basically showing 
the customers, what does waste in the beauty industry look like? Really spotlighting that and showing people that in a lot of cases, you know, there are great products which are being termed as waste, being treated as waste, but they shouldn't actually be waste. They're great products. They haven't expired. They're still effective. They just might not look absolutely pristine or they might display older branding, but you can still use them. And, you know, obviously consumer trust, it's a huge thing. Because before people will invest in a premium product, they're going to want to know, is it effective? Is it safe? What am I paying for? And so a lot of it is about reassuring them that you are going to get these results. It's the same thing. It's just traditionally not been marketed in the same way that that pristine, perfect packaged product will be. This is all really, really interesting. And I'm so glad about what you've mentioned there with um, symbols, because it's something that I talk about quite a lot. And I think there's a lot of confusion in messaging. I was exactly the same as you, consumer who thought that this meant it can be recycled or it could be recycled at home. And the majority of our bathroom waste and like beauty waste isn't actually recyclable at home. And people don't know that. And it, it needs to be fixed. It really does need to be fixed within the beauty industry. And I think it is a legislation issue, but... That's a story for another another podcast episode. So, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the research here. And research has shown that so many consumers express a willingness to purchase imperfect stock. So with that being said, how can the beauty industry take those sort of notes from the business model that Boot demonstrates? And then also, what does imperfect mean? Because I don't think people necessarily know what that means. Boot surveyed about 300 customers in the UK earlier this year, and we found that about 95% of them that would be happy to buy imperfect stock. And when I talk about imperfect stock, I mean, items that are still safe to use, they're not expired, they're just a bit marked or scruffy on the outside, or they're missing their box or something. So a really key takeaway for the beauty industry is that these items aren't actually considered waste, people would still use them. They understand that it's the product itself that gets applied to your skin or your hair. And, and that's what, what counts. You know, you'll usually just take them out of the box and you'll dispose of the box. You don't really care what that looks like. So I think the beauty industry, they need to reframe what they see as waste because things traditionally perceived to be waste aren't actually waste anymore. And I think another really key point is sometimes brands, they just need to stop trying to innovate. I mean, Boop is it's a pretty simple solution to a problem. We've not got any sexy AI or tech or anything in there. We just took a big step back. We looked at the big picture and we said, okay, there are a lot of products, a lot of product waste. These products aren't hitting the market. How can we get it to market? And it's a, it's a very simple solution. It's you just offer it to consumers. And then I also think transparency with customers, it's super important. So the beauty sector, it's not as regulated as people think. If you want to call a product organic, it might only have 1% organic ingredients. It now be less than 1%. Exactly. So unless you've got like, I don't know, a, a proper certification like Cosmos on it, a customer can't 100% be sure that that product is organic, for instance. So it's really hard for customers to make those informed choices. And so I think brands need to, to take it upon themselves to do that education and to you know not be misleading. You know, One thing which we've really done is we've got our boot community blog where we discuss these issues like sustainability, product certifications, waste in the industry, what product shelf lives and expiries actually mean and look like. We're collaborating with sustainability specialists in producing that because I think it's important for people to know. And then when it comes to imperfect products, what we mean by imperfect is, you know, 
they're always items they're sealed they're hygienic they're unopened they're in date so we wouldn't ever list any items on boot which would cause harm to a customer so you'll never find something like an expired ingestible supplement or a product where they've got the formulation wrong so you'll always get a rash from it you, you wouldn't find anything like that it is often actually just products where the external packaging is a little bit marked is a little bit scruffy whether that's because of the way it's been transported it's just been pushed around a bit or the way it's been stored or sometimes it's been on shop shelves and customers have just picked it up one too many times so a lot of brands and think of this next time you walk into a store a lot of brands they will not put items with marked or scuffed packaging on their shelves and you'll realize when you walk into stores it's always this absolutely perfect boxes pristine and that's because they want to give off this sort of premium shiny image but I guess it's also because the beauty industry is all about aesthetics. So if it's, if it's not aesthetically pleasing, why would they put it out there? I think there's something there that you can kind of understand why, but then also it doesn't really matter. As you said, everyone throws away the boxes. You know, some really big retailers who I won't name, but they actually send back that kind of marked and scuffed stock back to the brands. And they'll get issued with a credit. And, you know, it'll vary because, you know, if they're working with a big group, they're less likely to get away with that. But if they're working with an independent brand, which doesn't have that negotiation power, then you'll end up with this brand getting its stock back and not having anywhere to go with it. Because what other retailer is going to say, oh, yes, we'll take this, this stock that doesn't quite look perfect. So even if you look at some of the items we've got on Boop, we, we have some there where the products themselves, they've been manufactured without a box because the intention was... We're going to manufacture them to then put them into sets. And then they never produced as many sets as they thought. So those items don't have their box, not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just the way that they'd forecasted and what they planned. But again, you know, back to the point about the box, you just take it off. You don't really care as long as you can get all the information and the ingredients and, and that, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's still perfect to use. So you know, with Boop, we always have very upfront discussions with brands about what the imperfections are. And we'll always check it ourselves. We'll always be very rigorous with that. So, you know, for example, is the issue a faulty pump? Does that mean that a customer, they won't be able to open the product and reseal it? Because, you know, sometimes you get those bottles where the top's kind of welded in with a pump. And so you'd have to break it open to use the product and then you can't reseal. So something like that we wouldn't sell because you wouldn't then be able to close your product off. So we're always very rigorous about what is the fault? Does it affect how someone can use it and preserve their product? So many people don't understand the ins and outs of a product. And this is something that I've spoken about time and time again. We're in season nine now of this podcast. And it feels like after four years of doing this, there really is no change, no matter how much we speak about it, the vast majority of consumers still don't understand, A, where their products come from, whether that be the origins or how they're made. I mean, I might be slightly biased and have a bit more knowledge purely because I used to work in supply chain. So I get it and I understand how a product is made. But so many people still don't fully grasp it. And I think we all look at these shiny, beautiful things on um, the shelves and they're stocked perfectly. And we don't think, this has had to be transported from somewhere. And I've got so many friends from different parts of the industry. But 
I think something that I really want to discuss with you is the supply chain kind of element that we mentioned in the beginning. So with the beauty industry really grappling with inefficient supply chains, as we know, and COVID caused a lot of issues and stop forecasting, how can the industry really begin to streamline its processes to contribute to a more sustainable and less wasteful beauty landscape? There are so many ways, because unless you're a tiny brand and you're just producing in small batches, you will run into these issues. So I'll just go through sort of like what I think are the kind of top four really easy ones. As a first step, coordinating between operations teams and commercial teams and even product development teams, because obviously the commercial teams, they'll have their own targets. So they'll be driven by different things that will usually relate to numbers of sales and revenues. Whereas operations teams, they're focused more on managing the stock that's already there. So if brands sort of work on weaving those two parts of their business together, then they'll you know, be able to really prioritize inventory management because that's where a lot of waste happens when it's not done well. And actually, even with Boot, a lot of the brands we've spoken to, the conversations have really just been with the operations teams. And in some cases, they've even said, we don't want to loop in the commercial teams because we just want to kind of deal with our inventory and manage that. And Boot's completely in line with what we need to achieve as a business. So I think rather than having, you know, operations is just like a supporting bit of your supply chain, it kind of really does have to take front and center straight from forecasting to product development. Another really important thing, which I think is the case for a lot of brands, is just not jumping on every single trend. That's a really great way to manage waste. So you know, if it's a trend, all your competitors are going to be doing it, whether it's a Christmas edition or a super short lived but popular TikTok trend. I mean, do you remember the amount of brands that came out with all those Barbie themed products? Is anyone lining up for those now? You know, that was very short. 2023 was the year of Barbie. There was so much pink everywhere. You're right. Nobody's asking for that now. It was yeah. a phenomenon. It was a trend. It was something that really was the pinnacle of our lives for I think summer of 2023 and that's fallen <laughs> off the face of the earth and I think sometimes brands they just need the courage to say you know what let's just sit this one out there will always be another trend that they can jump on and then another it's a very simple thing but another really key thing which brands can do is they can just listen to their customers and they can think critically about what really matters so for instance Elemis they're obviously a very high-end skincare line they previously produced their creams with little spatulas, which you see in a lot of premium products. And I think it was that they surveyed their customers and they found out that their customers didn't actually care about those spatulas. So those little tiny spoons, which brands associate with luxury and a premium experience, customers don't actually associate that. Like they don't have the same association. And so they just got rid of all their spatulas and they've estimated that in doing that, based on annual sales, that they've saved about 1.7 tons of plastic. And that's a really small change, but that has a huge impact. And, and, and it really, it's also the cumulative effect of little changes. So if you make little changes like that across all your products, just by listening to your customers, you could end up with huge changes. I definitely agree. And I think that's what my whole sort of ethos is make lots of small changes and you will have that huge impact it's really seems very simple doesn't it what are some of the brands that you can get on boot 
So we currently have Aromatherapy Associates and we've got some really great units from them, which, you know, they come without their box. And also we've got these sort of like really large, supersized units as well, which, you know, really great opportunity for customers to make savings, by the way. (laughs) You can also get Antipodes, which is a really, really lovely skincare brand. We also have quite a bit of health and wellness as well. And then we've also got uh, John Masters Organics. We've got the hair and skincare range for that as well. And that's a really lovely brand. We're a relatively new growing business and the brands are kind of growing with us as well. No, it's fantastic because a lot of them are more sustainably focused brands as well from what I've noticed in my research. And it's good to see that a lot of these brands that do promote sustainability are also thinking about the end of not I don't want to say end of use because it's not to do with the end of use because they've not been used but what to do with excess items and what to do with imperfect stock and all of these things so I think the final question that I want to ask is in your opinion what role do brands and specifically both play in reshaping the industry norms to ensure a more sustainable and responsible approach to beauty production and consumption because I think that's the key part I completely agree. I think brands, they need to be a lot bolder and a lot less precious about what they do with that stock that's a bit imperfect or where they've produced too much. Um, And also about discounting their products when they're at the point where the products, they're advanced in their shelf life, let's say, or they're phasing out old, old branding, and they should really just sell them rather than destroying them. There was one brand I was in discussions with, and the blocking point was they've got a policy of never, ever discounting, ever. Even though with a simple Google, you can find their products discounted in a lot of places. And it was quite disappointing because the flip side of that is you just end up destroying that stock and just sending it to landfill, which you really shouldn't be doing. And I think it's also very important to spotlight waste issues in the beauty industry and not cover them up. I mean, the average customer isn't aware of the extent of unnecessary waste. And you can understand why uh, brands haven't necessarily been transparent about it. I mean, quite a few years ago, it was Burberry who, in their in their annual report, they disclosed that they had destroyed £10.4 million worth of beauty products in 2017. And there was huge uproar about that. So obviously, other brands don't want to be transparent about that. But it doesn't mean they're not doing the same thing. It just means that they're not telling you. So... I think a huge outcome and a huge way of reshaping industry norms is by actually showing consumers that there's nothing wrong with this and getting the brands to also lead that and express that, look, there's absolutely nothing wrong with with, with these products. They're still perfect for use. This isn't waste. It's perfectly usable. And sort of changing that mentality of it's got to be absolutely fresh out of the factory for someone to use it you know, because that's not the case. And I think transparency is just going to get more and more important. The onus is on the brands to lead the way, to be honest. As I said, the beauty industry is nowhere near as regulated as people would think. So people don't necessarily understand the ways in which they can be misled. So rather than making all these bold statements and trying to impress customers with sustainability credentials, you can just, you can either voluntarily subscribe to certifications where customers can be 100% sure that this means organic and this means vegan. And also, if you're not quite there on sustainability yet, that's perfectly fine. You can evidence what you've been doing. You don't need to be this, oh, we're doing everything right, because some of these brands, they've been around for decades and there is work to be done. And it's perfectly fine to show that you're doing that work. 
Thank you so much to Yasmin for a really enlightening chat. You should all head to Boop now. I will link them in our show notes and I've found some really great products on the site myself. And remember, guys, that imperfect doesn't mean that it's less than or that it's a poorer quality. So I want to see you all buying from there. Until then, you can subscribe and listen back to previous episodes of Sustainably Influenced on all good podcast platforms. You can follow at Sustainably Influenced on Instagram and TikTok. This season of Sustainably Influenced was produced by Content is Queen, sound editor Amber Miller and presented 